Um, well, listen, we are in a, a sermon series heading up to Christmas, and uh, we're calling it The Word Became Flesh. Um, it comes from John 1.14. It says this, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so what we've been celebrating over the past three weeks is this, like the, the incarnation, the truth that God sent Jesus to us to live as, as one of us. And we've been asking this question, which is um, seldom asked, mostly assumed, but the question, why? Like, why, why did God send his son? And we know that he, he was sent to, to die for our sins. That's kind of, you know, what people say, you know, Jesus came and he died for our sins. But um, why did, why did, if that were the only reason, then why was he born as a baby? Why did he heal? Why did he teach? Why did he live for over 30 years? Um, and for the past two weeks, we've been talking about one of the reasons that Jesus came, that the word became flesh, was so that we could get to know God. And we said, if you want to get to know the Father, get to know the Son. If you want to get to know God, get to know Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through him. This is like this, um, this reality that like, it's a very exclusive and also very inclusive claim of Jesus. And so if, as we talk about and continue that question of why today, we're going to um, take a look at probably one of the most well-known and most quoted scriptures in the Bible, John 3.16. And uh, I'll read it for you and it'll be up on the screens. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 3 today. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. You'll see, uh, you know, football player, players have John 3.16 written. People, um, people quote it. It's, it's written on, uh, on mugs and stationery and all kinds of things. And many times we read this verse, John 3.16, almost like it's like a standalone verse. Like it just kind of exists apart from anything else. John 3.16, like it's a standalone. And, um, the interesting thing is that like if you, most people don't even necessarily know what comes before or after John 3.16. Uh, most people don't even know what the rest of John chapter 3 is about. And if you read it in its context, then you start to realize that uh, John 3.16 is actually the culmination of an encounter that Jesus had with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And so today, as we read, I, I want to take, take us some time to lead up and read John chapter 3, 1 through 16 and read that quote in context. And my hope is, my prayer is, that even as we, uh, as we talk about why Jesus came, that, that God reveals to us and reveals to you, reveals to me that one of the reasons why Jesus came, one of the reasons why God chose to make the word become flesh. So why don't you stand with me as we read John chapter three. We're gonna start in verse one. You may have heard this and didn't know that they were connected, but they are. John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. 
Flesh gives birth to flesh, and the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this reminder in this Christmas season of all the the craziness and parties and gift giving and receiving and all of the demands that we place on ourselves and are maybe even placed on us by others. Lord, I thank you for this this reminder, this needed reminder of why you came in the first place. You came to give us life, and life abundantly. Lord, I thank you that you sent your one and only Son, made the Word become flesh, Jesus, to dwell, to live as one of us, to make a way where there was no way. So, Lord, we thank you for that. May you just reveal your Word to us in a greater way today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thanks. I don't know. I, I, I've actually never um, heard someone preach on John 3.16 and, and read the story of Nicodemus and put them together. Um, usually they, they're kind of separated. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of walk through this, this encounter that Jesus has with, with a Pharisee. And it begins in verse 1. So let's read it. This is kind of what we do here. Verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. It's important for you to understand some of the things that you may not understand. If, you, um, if this is your first time going through reading the Word of God, um, you may not realize that the, the Jewish ruling council that it talks about here in verse 1 was also called the Sanhedrin. Uh, you may have heard it um, termed that before. It was kind of like the Supreme Court for the Jewish people. There were upwards of 70 men who sat on this council, and uh, they represented Israel to Rome. And so they would make decisions and rulings, and they would represent uh, the, the the people of Israel, to, to Rome. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee who held one of these prestigious positions. Um, and so Nicodemus shows up at night. We don't know why. A lot of people don't know. You know, they, they, they kind of say, well, this is probably why he showed up at night. I don't know why, if he was trying to, you know, make sure that nobody saw him, that he was associating with Jesus. We, we really don't know why he shows up at night, but he shows up, and he probably shows up with some questions, as most people would, um, wanting to have a private audience with Jesus. And so verse 2, uh, he says this, it says, it came at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with them. Now, what's interesting is that Nicodemus 
really, if you read what he says, doesn't even get a chance to, to ask a question. And, and what we're about to read in verse 3 is that Jesus comes to answer a question that was never asked. And this seems to be the frustration that most of us have with Jesus. Amen? And this isn't just in the Bible, this is in real life. Like because, because Jesus does not always answer the questions that we want to ask, he actually claims to be the answer to the question that we should all be asking. And time and time again, it's like, Jesus, I, I want to know the answer to this. Why can't you tell me this? Why can't you tell me what, what I'm supposed to do with my life and these? And should I marry her or her or this or that? What should I do? What school should I go to? And so many times um, we're left wondering, saying, like, I, I'm, just, I'm just not quite sure. And Jesus goes ahead and answers the question because he says, I am the answer to the question that you should be asking. And Nicodemus doesn't even get to question number one, and Jesus is already answering him to the question that he never asked. Verse three, Jesus replied like he's answering very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That word, born again, has a whole lot of connotations. Especially not just inside the church, but outside the church. If you talk about like born again Christians, um, there's a whole lot of... Um, understandings, misunderstandings, meanings, and attachments to that term. Like born-again Christians are kind of seen as like um, a different breed, a different brand of Christianity. To some, if you say like, well, I'm, I'm a born-again Christian, it would mean that you're a Christian who is morally conservative, right? That like you, you're a Christian who means it, right? Like you, you kind of like, you, 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 you're very much are biblically based and biblically mindset and things like that. And maybe even what others would say would be narrow-minded, but you are a, a born-again Christian. To others, it, it might mean that you're a Christian who is emotionally passionate. A lot of times, like if someone's like, oh, that's a born-again Christian, like watch out, they don't shut up about Jesus. Watch out. I hear in their church, they raise their hands. Watch, they're a born, they're a born, I don't know if you know this, but I have a born-again Christian aunt and she's crazy, right? Like you, you understand, like that's kind of like this, you know, people that look in from the outside looking in, they're like, well, I'm Catholic, I'm Protestant, I'm, evangel I'm, I'm a born, oh, you're a born-again Christian? Oh, okay, I got you, got you. Because some, for some, a born-again Christian means that you're a Christian who probably belongs to a cult, right? Like, I mean, that people would say, yeah, watch out for them because um, they're emotionally passionate, they're very conservative. And um, the, the interesting thing is this, that the term born again is not made up by Christians. It's not a special brand of Christianity. It's actually defined by Jesus himself as like the, the way to become a Christian. He says, you can't enter the kingdom of God, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And this term, again, like born again, if you look it up in the Greek, it actually could be translated from above. Born from above. Born by the Spirit. So when he says, like, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you have been born from above. Here's the thing. Either way, I think it was just as nebulous and confusing to Nicodemus as it is to many of us today. Jesus kind of speaks in this riddle, and yet it is clear, and yet we don't understand exactly what he's talking about. And we see Nicodemus in his response. I, I don't know if he's being sarcastic. I don't know if he's literally just thinking out loud, and, but, but this is what he says. He asks Jesus, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asks. 
surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I, I almost hope he's being sarcastic because the alternative is even more worrisome for me in Nicodemus's mindset. Um, he's literally sitting there scratching his head like, Jesus, what are we talking about? Like, you can't mean this literally, right? Like, I'm bigger than my mom. I don't think she's going to go for this, right? Like, I, I, I can't, you can't go backwards, right? Like, um, this isn't going to happen the way that you're saying. Like, surely you can't be born a second time out of your mother's womb. Like, yeah, duh. And, and he's confused, just like many of us. And then Jesus. Jesus says something that I believe is the key to unlocking the understanding of the mystery that he's preaching about. And he says this, verse 5 and 6. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. And then he says this, and this is the thing, this is like, even for me this week, it kind of clicked with me in a way that I'd I'd never really thought of before. In verse 6, he says this, flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, you are born. But then he's like, but spirit, spirit gives birth to spirit. And you're like, yeah, I don't, it didn't click for me, Pastor Justice. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was praying about it, I was studying this week, and, and um, all of a sudden, this kind of understanding came to me, this kind of, it's not, it's not new, but it was new to me. So what I need you to do, I want you to just close your eyes. Just close your eyes for a second. And I'm going to ask you to imagine. Imagine when, way back, when you were in your mother's womb before you were born, okay? Just think about that. Remember that. Do you remember? I hope you remember that far. Let me jog your memory for a second. If you were asked as an unborn child living in your mother's womb, and you are living in your mother's womb, if you were asked what the world was like as an unborn child in a womb, you'd probably most likely describe the womb as the world, wouldn't you? It's kind of all you know. Like you would literally describe, like if somebody was like, what's the world like? And, and you in your mother's womb would describe that. It would probably be like, well, it's kind of dark. Can't see much. Lots of fluid. Kind of restrictive no matter how much I kick. Doesn't seem to like go anywhere. I can hear sounds, but I, I don't make much, much sense of them. And it wasn't until you were born that there was a whole new world that opened up to you. Like once that baby, once you were born into this world, you all of a sudden realize that what you thought was the world was just the womb and there was light and there were so many colors and things to see and and food to taste and places to go. And all of a sudden you realize that the world was so much bigger than the womb. You thought that was the all, all of it, but it was, it was so much greater than that, so much bigger than everything that you had thought it, it was. And, and, and the things that you could only sense, you could now see. And the things that were only like sounds that muffled, that you couldn't really make sense of, all of a sudden you recognize, oh, that's the voice of my mother. And that's the voice of my father. In fact, they say in like all these parenting studies that like it's really healthy for you to like 
talk to the baby in the womb, you know, whether mom or dad, like sing to or talk to your child unborn. And they say that even like they can recognize in the womb the tone of your voice, even though they don't understand language. And when they're born, there's this imprinting that happens that they recognize the voice that they couldn't necessarily make out before, but all of a sudden now is familiar to them. It's kind of this cool thing that like, I don't know, people smarter than me um, understand. And then Jesus comes along and he says this, in the same way, being born again by the Spirit changes everything. Just like you were a baby in your mother's womb and you thought the womb was the world, when you were born, it changed everything. Being born again by the Spirit changes everything. He says you can now see. You can read verse 3 and verse 5. He says you can now see and you can now enter the kingdom of God once you are born again. So just as you thought that the womb was your world and, and being born changed your mind, in the same way you thought that the kingdom of this world was all that there was. And being born again changes your mind. Being born again opens up the ability to be able to, to see and to enter the kingdom of God that's all around us. And it means that the things that you didn't see before, you can now see. It means that like you'll have eyes to see what God is doing in and around you. It means that you'll receive divine wisdom that you didn't grasp before. Like when, when, you, when you are born again, all of a sudden you have ears to hear. Jesus says it all the time. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. What is he talking about? Everybody's got ears. He's not saying like if you're deaf, like open up your ears, turn your hearing aid on so you can hear. He's literally saying those who have spiritual ears to hear, you will grasp something that most people won't. And so when we're born again, those things that we couldn't necessarily see or make out or couldn't grasp or couldn't understand, all of a sudden we see clearly what it is that God's doing in our midst and we didn't see it before. All of a sudden, those, those muffled things that we thought, oh, I'm so spiritual, I'm just kind of like, I just love being spiritual, moving around. All of a sudden, when we are born again, we recognize that was my father speaking to me all along. And I didn't see it. And I wasn't sure what it was. But I see that he's been leading me all along. You'll have ears to hear your heavenly father's voice that you couldn't make sense of. In John 10, 10, he says, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he tells us why he came. He literally says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He's talking about being born again. This term that has got so much flack, this term that like we think Christians have made up and it's just kind of like this weird, super Christianese type of thing. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Actually, this is the way, this is the truth and this is how we gain the life that I've afforded for you. It's like Jesus is saying that being born again opens up the ability to see, to perceive, and to know, and to enter the kingdom of God that is so close for some and yet feels out of reach for others. He's like, I'm here. That's why, that's why when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it's like this already but not yet. It's like it's here, but it, those who have ears to hear, they'll hear this. Those who have eyes to see, they will see it. The kingdom of God is here, and yet it's not. I want you to walk in that. 
And just like it's our responsibility, right? When we, when we are born into this world, it is our responsibility to grow. It's our responsibility to mature and to discipline ourselves. When we're born again, it is also our responsibility to grow and to mature and to discipline ourselves, to train our senses, to hear our good shepherd, to keep our eyes fixed on what it is that God's doing. It's easy to see what Satan's about. It's easy to see what the pattern of this world is. It's, it's a little more difficult for us to stay attuned to what our good shepherd is speaking to us. It's, it's, it's a little bit more difficult for us to see God in the midst of drama and everything else around us. And to know that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. To know that I can read all these things and I can scroll through Facebook and Pinterest and and Instagram and I can do all of these things, but to know that man does not live by Pinterest alone. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God so that when we get into the word of God, we realize that it has life and life abundantly. We realize that it is something to actually chew, to eat. It satiates the inner longings. And, and just when you're thinking, like, I don't know, Justin, like, it seems like you're kind of being, like, a born-again Christian. Jesus doubles down in verse 7, and he says, I think he says it to Nicodemus, I think he says it to you. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. In other words, like, I understand this may freak you out. I understand you've been like, I don't understand what this looks like. This, this is kind of awkward. But, but there is this knowing in your knower that there's more. There is this idea that, like, eternity is in the heart of every person. We, we, we love to run after things that appear to be spiritual. And Jesus is saying, like, that, that, that yearning for spiritual things is actually finds its place when you're born again and you realize <laughs> those things that you thought you heard is the voice of your father. Those things that you can kind of see, you can now see what it is that God's doing. So, how do you know if you've been born again? I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? Well, I will go to a born-again church. I'm, I'm morally conservative. I'm emotionally passionate. I might belong to a cult. Like, I mean, what is that? Like, I mean, what, what does it mean to be born again? Well, we know this. We see this all throughout the word of God that in order to be born again, we must repent believe and receive, right? We repent from our sins, we turn to Jesus, and we receive forgiveness of sins and begin to walk in it. But how do we know? Because that's always the thing. It's the question that pastors get all the time. I don't know. I think I did. I got baptized, and I, and I, I think I committed my life to Jesus, but how do I know? I just, I'm not sure. And pastors, far greater than me, have, have tried to bring people along in the assurance of that. Here's one thing, two things that I'd actually like to say that, like, If you're like wondering what it means to be born again, two things you should expect. One, your mind should be changed. And two, your heart should be moved. Your mind should be changed and your heart should be moved. The first thing, your mind should be changed. Paul writes about it in Romans 12 too. He says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind because the kingdom and the pattern of this world is not all that there is. And when you are born again, you all of a sudden realize that, like, man, this is a whole bunch of stupid. The things that we're all running after, the things that we think is so important, really is just a dead end. It never actually satiates me. I think that more money and more food and more things are going to bring me the satisfaction that I'm so longing after. And I only find true satisfaction when I realize that the kingdom of this world will never get me 
what I truly want. And he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying when you're born again that the Spirit of God will change your mind. Which means you shouldn't be the same as you were before. The things that you once considered normal should be now off limits, right? That you will find yourself doing things and giving things that you would never choose on your own. Why? Because it's crazy. And some of your friends, people that, that don't know Jesus, will be like, I have no idea why you would do that. I, why, why do you waste your time? Why, why did you get up this early, bust through the end of your, of your driveway to get to church? Why in the world? What's the, what's the hurry? Why in the world would this be a significant part of your life? I do not understand why you would give that money, do those things. And the reality is, is when we are born again, God will change your mind. Warning, he will change your preferences. He will change your attitude. (laughs) Hallelujah. He will change your opinions. He will change your habits. He will change your addictions. And warning, he may even change your politics. Oh, jeez. He actually thinks that he should have a say in all areas of our lives. And he's like, I want to change you from the inside out. I want to change your mind. And the second thing is that your heart should be moved. It is John 3.16 in a nutshell. God's heart was moved, and he was so moved for you that he chose to break his own rules He chose to break. Do you realize that? Like John 3.16 is saying like this old covenant isn't good enough. I'm going to take this. I'm going to send a part of me down to you to die for your sins to be raised to new life so that I could make a way where there seems to be no way so that just by repenting and looking on him, you can be saved. God's heart was moved and he decided to make the word become flesh. This is literally John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he decided to break his own rules because you were worth it. And we see this lived out in Jesus. This isn't just like something that like, oh, God decided I'm going to send my own son. And oh, We see this lived out through the life of Jesus, the 30 plus years that he lived and taught and healed people. Jesus seemed to always be moved with compassion. You can look through the gospels time and time and time again. It said, Jesus, moved with compassion, went to someone. Jesus, moved with compassion, went to this person. Jesus, moved with compassion, went to go minister to this person. He was continually moved with compassion, and it caused him to go to people that other people would avoid. And it was the same God moved with compassion that made him move towards you when he would have otherwise maybe avoided. And Jesus would move with compassion, he would heal people. Move with compassion, he would talk to people. Move with compassion, he ate dinner with sinners and tax collectors, people that nobody else would want to eat dinner with. Move with compassion, he would love people who were unlovable. Move with compassion, he died for you. Do you realize that Jesus did not die for sin? He died for sinners. Jesus didn't die for the law. He died for lawbreakers like you. And when we fail to see that he saw move with compassion to move towards you when you really didn't deserve it, it says Christ died <laughs> For sinners, even while they were still yet in sin. He died 
for you and considered you worth it. He essentially came, God became flesh because you were more important than his view. And so he made a way where there wasn't a way. And if you're born again, not only is your mind changed, but your heart should be moved in the same way that the Spirit of Christ was moved to people that most would avoid. We should find ourselves moved with compassion towards people that others would avoid. And if we decide that we're going to truly work with him, walk with him, watch how he does it, then we will start to see people individuals, not groups, not races, not political parties. We will start to see people, individuals, not our enemies. And we would say that you are more important than my view. And I watch Christians wonder why the church is not making more of an impact in the world today. Could it be that we hold people who God loves at arm's length, waiting for them to do the impossible to change from the inside out without being born again? Could it be that we fail to truly embrace people and say that you're more important than my view and I believe that God wants to encounter you? Our minds are changed and our hearts are moved. And then Jesus goes on and, uh, and there's something that sticks out to me and I know we kind of brushed through it but Jesus makes this Old Testament reference, and, and you probably heard it, and you're like, that sounds really spiritual. I have no idea what that means. Verse 14, verse 14 and 15, let's read it. He says this, Jesus said to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, this sounds kind of like it's out of left field. Jesus is talking about, like, you must be born again. you got to be born again of the Spirit. You can't see the kingdom of God. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And then he starts talking about this snake on a pole, and you got to lift it up, or else you can't be healed. And so I started looking it up. I'm like, okay, well, what, what is this that, um, that Jesus is referencing? And uh, quite honestly, this, this part that seems like it's out of left field is now my favorite part. And it is literally two verses before <laughs> the most quoted verse in the Bible. We got verse 14 and 15, this weird like, quotation from like, uh, reference to the Old Testament. And then verse 16 is the most quoted verse in the Bible. What is it referring to? It's referring to Numbers chapter 21. Let me give you a thumbnail sketch of Numbers 21 so we don't have to read all of it. The Israelites are wandering in the desert and they are complaining, like worse than your kids on a road trip. They are complaining, complaining, complaining. Nothing makes them happy. They're like, we got no food, we got no snacks, we got this manna, 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 I hate manna, I don't want any more manna, we got no water, like, uh, why did you even, you know, bring us on this road trip? You should have just left us in Egypt so that we, you know, you're just bringing us out here so we can die on this road trip that never ends, and, and then it gets worse. You think, how can it get worse? It gets worse. These venomous snakes start appearing and biting people. And then they start dying. And so they run to Moses and they're like, we're so sorry, we're sinning against God. Please ask him to get rid of these snakes. They're biting us and snakes freak me out and they're killing us and all of these things. And so Moses is like, oh my gosh, these people. 
How much longer? He says this all the time. How much longer do I have to stay with these people? And then he goes to God and he asks God. He's like, God, we got to get rid of these snakes. Can you please remove this? And God tells Moses to do something really actually kind of strange. He tells Moses to make a bronze snake and to put it on a pole and to raise it up high. And he says, and if people come and look at it, then they'll be healed. So let me just, this is what it is. So if someone gets bitten by a snake, they have a very limited amount of time to run their little tushy to get to, uh, so that they can see the serpent, the bronze serpent up on the pole so that they can get a glimpse of it and so they can be healed before the venom, venom succumbs and they die. This is, this is the plan. Run as fast as you can to get to the serpent on the pole so that when you see it, you can, you can be healed. And the, the question is this, like what, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Right? Now think about this. Like, what do you think that some of the Jews did when, when Moses was like, all right, this is what God told me. I made the snake, lift it up. You got to come. If you, get, if you get bit, you got to come see this. What do you think some of the Jews did? Nothing. I bet some of them did nothing. I have to what? I have to go look at a serpent, a bronze serpent on a pole? No thanks. I, I, I don't have time for this, right? I'm, I'm a busy guy. I don't know if you understand this. I'm a big deal. Right? I don't have faith. I'm not going to have faith in that. That seems absolutely absurd. Why don't you give me some of those magic herbs, right? Just give me some of that. I'll just take some of those magic herbs. That's going to take, that's going to take care of this. And if that doesn't take care of it, then you can just cut me open again. And I'm, I will suck the venom out myself because I don't need your help. I don't need this whole serpent on a pole thing, right? I, I, I watched on, on TV. I could just suck it out myself if I get to it. And oh, I don't need it. You know what? If I, if I just act like it didn't happen, then I'm going to be fine. Oh, I'll be fine. And the answer to their ailment was in looking in faith to this uplifted serpent. Now, what in the world? Jesus quotes this right before the most quoted verse in the Bible. What in the world does this have to do with anything? I mean, I bet Nicodemus was thinking the exact same thing because, um, well, I honestly think that Jesus knew that he would get it later. Have you ever had Jesus do something or tell you something and you didn't get it in the moment, but then like maybe a little bit later it made complete sense to you? Like, that's what he was talking about, right? You get like a word for the year and you're like, that seems like I had some bad pizza. I don't think that's a word for the year for me at all. And then all of a sudden God confirms it. And you're like, that is what he was talking about. See, I think that even Jesus, right before he quotes the most quoted verse in the Bible, he knew that Nicodemus may not get it right now, but he'd get it later. Because just as maybe, 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 as Jesus was about to be crucified, and you know, so Nicodemus, remember, he was on the Sanhedrin, so you know they were there to watch this. They, they, they were the ruling council to put Jesus to death. Maybe as he's looking around and above the heads of the crowd of people watching that crucifixion that day. Jesus, the, the perfect Lamb of God, was lifted up, raised up on a pole, and he became sin 
that when you look at him in faith, all of your sins are laid upon him. And it doesn't even make sense. And it sounds so preposterous. And you will be healed. Just like he said. Why did the word become flesh and dwell among us? To change your life. To heal you. To give you life. Not just life barely making it by, but life abundantly. Why don't you stand with me? Now, you probably may be thinking, well, that sounds really nice, Justin. But like, I mean, that's a great story of Nicodemus. Probably he saw Jesus lifted up. I believe that I believe that there was something that happened that changed in Nicodemus, that he finally believed in Jesus, that, that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be from the beginning. And that Nicodemus didn't, didn't see it then, but he saw it now. Jesus was the Messiah. And Nicodemus' mind was changed and his heart was moved. And, and you're like, well, how can you be sure of that? I wanted to bring your attention to John chapter 19. Verse 38, this is after Jesus was crucified. Verse 38 says, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Now, think about this. Like, who would want to be associated with Jesus at this point? I mean, you, this is a very dangerous position for Joseph to put himself into. He literally, Jesus is crucified and dies, and he asks for the body. And some of you know that he, they was, he was actually you know, buried in, in this borrowed tomb, Joseph's tomb. But the thing that, that I love about Joseph of Arimathea, he doesn't care who knows. He doesn't care who sees. He cares for the body of Christ. Keep reading in verse 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. The man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, very, very costly. And the two of these guys lavishly care for the body of Jesus. And they had so much to lose to be associated with Jesus. And they had nothing to gain if Jesus were just an executed criminal, justly executed. But Nicodemus must have believed. It's the only thing that makes sense. Nobody does this unless their mind is changed and their heart is moved. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved, so he gave. And when we believe, we receive it. And I think that Nicodemus, and, and I hope that those of us who have been born again would say, look to him. Look to him. Run to him. And it's not because you deserve it. It literally has nothing to do with you. <laughs> it has to do with a God who thought that you were more important than his view, and he broke his own rules to make a way where there seemed to be no way. When God heart, God's heart was moved, he chose to make the word become flesh and dwell among us for you, to give you life and life abundantly. Not just so that you can be born, but that you can be born again. And when we turn to him, when we turn to Jesus, when we look to him, we turn away from our sins. We turn away from the things that we once thought were going to bring us salvation. We turn away from, from our own selves. And my question to you this morning, and I want to leave you with this, is this question is like, to what are you looking to? To what are you looking to? Are you looking within yourself? Are you looking to the world around you? Or are you looking to Jesus? And just like that baby, when that baby thought that the, the womb was the world and only when they were born realized that the, that the world is so much bigger. Jesus says, in order to see the kingdom of God, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You must be born from above. Why? Because you thought that the kingdom of this world was all there is. You thought that everything hinged on who was elected. You thought, oh my goodness, if I don't get this job, everything's going to fall apart. You thought that if, if this doesn't happen, then... And Jesus says, open your eyes and see what it is that I'm doing. <laughs> it's so much bigger than you thought. I've got things in mind that I want to see happen if you would just listen, see, and enter the kingdom of God. So Lord, we lift you up. We lift you up in this place. May we be reminded to keep our eyes fixed on you, the uplifted servant, the uplifted son of God. May we remember that you've got so much more going on, so much more at stake than the kingdom of this world and the things that we think are so important. God, you have values and things that you want to change our mind and move our hearts. May we be responsive as born again, born from the Spirit, that we would move with your Spirit, that we would walk with you, work with you, and watch how you do it, that we would be moved with compassion to go to people that others would avoid. That we, would, that we would choose to love those above our views so that you can truly say, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever, whoever, that would be you. That would be me. That would be people like you. That would be people not like you. That would be your friends and that would even be your enemies. That he came to make a way. And so, Lord, we lift you up today. We worship you today.
I pray, church, whatever you got to do, whether it's you just making this decision for the first time or you're just recentering and realigning your heart today as you enter into this Christmas week, maybe you come down here during this time of worship and just realign your heart saying, Jesus, I choose to keep my eyes on you. And it's so tempting to look around. It's so tempting to listen to this whisper and to see this thing. But Lord, I choose to see you in the midst of my drama. I choose to hear your voice in the midst of the cacophony of noises around me. I want to seek your face and to see you in Jesus' name. Let's worship.